Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to the season wrap-up of DNI Spy. I'm Dr. Julie Humphreys. And I'm Natasha Whitehurst. And welcome to the the end of season four. I can't believe we got there. Oh my goodness. How did that happen? We packed a lot into this season. It has been Yeah, it's been really busy, hasn't it? <laughs> Taking us right into the summer, hasn't it? Um and we've covered so many different topics. Let, let's kick straight into to the review. Um, and we, we opened with Simon Fanshawe. Um, and Simon is um, a, a co-founder of Stonewall. Uh, we talked about his book, The Power of Difference. Um, and I really enjoyed that season opener, actually. Um, it was rich with examples. It was rich with resources um, and sort of academic research. research. Um, and I couldn't just choose one um element to be uh so it's really um so i've got two um clips for you to listen to the first one's really short um so let's let's take a, a listen to how simon describes diversity what they bring through who they are it's not oh i mean diversity is not a recipe you know it's not that thing of like oh let's get three women two blacks a couple of gays add water and stir you know what i mean you'd be mental if you thought that would produce new results you you make that point in your book around targets and and say and you do say you know if you're saying we should get more women then why are you saying we should get more women? Yeah. Uh, yeah. what's the purpose and what benefit will they bring to the business and do you think organizations just aren't doing that very much then well i think part of the problem is that people don't um think about what targets are really useful for so when simon um came out with that that really showed the sort of the way that the podcast was going to go i think for that episode it was going back to basics it was talking um in really simple language and some might say um sort of uh, word controversial language um, so it was, a, it was a really great season opener. Uh, we talked also about that DNI or EDI is becoming buried in psycho um, babble um, or gobbledygook, as Simon said, um, and that actually it, it's damaging to inclusion as a whole because, as he said, all human beings are experts in inclusion. Um, so I thought I love the way you just kept bringing it back. Um, but one other thing I wanted uh to pull out was around psychological safety and he really talked a lot um, about psychological safety and gave us specific examples so let's take a listen spaces that are safe for disagreement not from disagreement so what you do as a leader you've got to create that space in which there's not personal sanction for saying something that then maybe it's not the mm. right idea at the right time you maybe said something that resonated with somebody else not so well 
But actually, there's no sanction for that. You work through it. Mm. You agree with each other that that's what you're going to do. And that's a great working environment. And it's hard. It's hard mm. to create that. I mean, just to, is it, would you like a... I mean, her starting example, I think, is really interesting. She did some research when she did her PhD some years back. And they did a massive data set on, on, from hospitals in the yeah, States. Yeah, yeah. And she looked at whether the, they were trying to find out whether there's correlation between psychological safety and medical teams and the errors that they made. And she discovered there was indeed a correlation. It was the exact opposite of what they thought. She discovered that psychologically safe teams made more errors. And she was like, this can't be the This can't be true. <laughs> and they, they cut the data every which way, I think for three or four months. And then she tumbled to it one day. And they asked some supplementary questions and she realised what was going on. It's not that they make more mistakes, it's that they report Mm. more mistakes. So therefore they learn from them. So we kept talking about his book, um, The Power of Difference, which was award-winning. And there was some, I mean, as I say, this was one of the the key episodes, I think, that a lot of people can take a lot from. Yeah, I really agree. And I think um, there was a few highlights for me, actually, I think. We've talked about, um, and I agree, by the way, with, with what you've shared already, and I definitely think the piece around psychological safety is going to continue to evolve. But I think the bit for me was around the discussion um, about passion. So, you know, in the DNI space, you know, we always talk about, you know, is um, you need to be passionate to do what you do and also, you know, to demonstrate um, your kind of commitment to diversity and inclusion in your job. You need to be passionate about it. And actually, you know, Simon talked about it being really unfair that you know people people might not want to be passionate about inclusion in toothpaste or pizza um, and actually people come to come to work to do their job and actually he kind of perspected it put it in a different perspective there so I, I really I really liked that and definitely took around took away from the conversation um I guess it reinforced the point that we all have different opinions on stuff and I guess I'll kind of come to this as we get through the the episode but we really need to listen to each other more and actually it's it's okay not to have the same view and perspective but actually we need to maybe table some of it in a in a in a more respectful way at times and I think that certainly as we've gone through the season is something that's really kind of like resonating and sat sat in my my mind definitely yeah, and we'll come on to um, Robin uh, White towards the end because she was a, a season closer. But absolutely, I, I, I hear what you're saying there, Natasha. I think actually um, we talked about trans with Simon. We talked about trans as a as a word with um, Robin, and at, I think they're they're really great season openers and closers um, to, in terms of language. And let's listen to everybody. You know, there's no right and wrong. Yeah. So. Um, we then also spoke with Helen Beedham. Uh, we explored time. And Helen thinks time is broken. We read another book. We love reading books. So that was in preparation. Um, and it's an award-winning book um, around it's really cultivating time intelligence um, and understanding how marginalised groups are affected by our lack of time. Helen talked about time blindness and long working hours. Um, and we specifically explored, as I say, marginalised groups. So let's take a listen to what Helen has to say. So over people's careers as well, we tend to really focus on 
you know, the current day, the week, the month, maybe a year ahead. We don't think about the individual's perhaps longer term career aspirations, either inside or outside the organisation. Um, we take a much more short term approach to that. And in the book, I talk about why this time culture is problematic, both for individuals, but also for businesses. And I remember talking to someone when I was researching it, I was interviewing them, and they said, you know, I get why it's wrong, bad for productivity. I get why it's bad for well-being. But why is it bad for diversity and inclusion? I don't get that. And I, and I admit, when I started writing it, I had a hunch that this was going to be an issue from an inclusion perspective. But I had to kind of dig into it to find out why. And I spoke to a lot of people who would consider themselves minorities in some way in the workplace, but, but also people in the majority um, demographic groups as well. And it, it damages inclusion because what it does, this time culture, is it sets up one model for working, really. It says to fit in, to get in, to fit in, to get on, we have to work like this. Um, and predominantly, that tends to mirror you know, the way that perhaps senior leadership teams work and, and how they're comprised. And anyone that doesn't quite fit that mould or can't commit to the same time culture, to the same working, to, to being um, you know, endlessly available 24-7 or being able to work late hours, etc., they become disadvantaged by that system. It becomes much harder to progress. Um, also, there's things like people's experiences of, of the intensity of work that's been very scientifically measured. And there was a study that found that it, it's not just us feeling more uh, under pressure. It actually is a recognised thing. And work intensity has been increasing over the last 20 years steadily um, by about 20 percent, I think. And actually, women experience far greater work ex intensity than men. Like there's a 15 percent gender intensity gap. So there's this stuff's been kind of researched and evidenced. Um, other ways that it affects inclusion is that, um, for example, people in the minority say that they have to do much more with their time, fit more in, achieve more, to be get ac able to access the same opportunities as majority colleagues. And, and that's, again, borne out by stats. There's um, some research... Today we heard Helen talk about the impact of women or on women and uh, black people specifically... Um, and I thought it was really um, great of Helen to actually share some free download checklists because we always say that inclusion are actions. So she came on with those actions. Um, so those checklists are around our indivi individuals, but also what managers can do. Um, and they cross all pillars of diversity, productivity, and well-being. And I specifically like Helen's top tip, her inclusive action which was one day um, a week meeting free. Um, but also when you are at meetings, um, just have a conversation with everybody about what helps or hinders them when it comes to time. And don't jump in um, as a manager and, you know, mm. and push back. Just understand the time culture in your team. Yeah, I um, I particularly um, love the top tip and takeaway. And I particularly, and you know, like you say, uh, we say inclusion is an action and actually we're giving people tools or Helen is giving people tools to be able to to really act on that. And I personally took the um took the tools and we we took it into a kind of a team meeting and, and used them and actually really helped make our team think a little bit differently. I think we all very quickly can say, um, oh, I've not got enough time or I'm really, really busy. 
but actually how often do we really look at how we are using our time and what our blockers are and I think I guess this this also for me this episode now I look back and reflect also linked into um Joe's episode around ERGs and in that in that episode he talks about actually you know the way we work potentially being broken as well and so I think that I think that generally organizations have some work to do to think about where are we in terms of work and culture and I think all of this feeds into that so we're saying that the way we manage our time is broken we're saying potentially that we don't have the right things in place to be able to support people to work at their best and so it feels as though there's almost going to be a real change in ways of working and I, I feel like we're really on the kind of like edge and cusp of that. Yeah, we've talked for years, haven't we, about time management. And that's the only time people talk about time is like, you know, managing your time appropriately. And this feels like it could be yeah. a change in thinking. Definitely. Shall we move on to um, our third episode, which was with Rachel Charlton Daly. Um, and that was on disabled people and the media um, and the way the media portrays disabled people. Um, I think for me, this is a great episode um for the people that potentially you know as well as I do that often in the roles that we do we get questions say why is this inclusion stuff important why should I be um thinking about DNI and actually what this did was shine a light on actually the reason that we we need to be thinking more inclusively throughout the conversation with Rachel you know we did we did of course talk about um the media's portrayal of disabled people and we 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 kind of really touched on the kind of polarizing um the polarizing way in which we we portray um disabled people but I thought the most interesting bit for me was right up front and again it kind of came back to language so um let's have a listen I mean I'm going to be very self-serving here and mention the Mirror Disabled Britain. Yeah, there. go Mirror. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, honestly, like I've been working in the media for about seven years now and I've, I've written a lot of stuff for different outlets, but it was only when the Mirror came to me and asked me to do uh, Disabled Britain uh, that I really saw a big change in how uh, in how it was done. And it. The, the big change is that the media needs to have a top-down approach. You know, there needs to be disabled people at every level. So having someone like me who was editing the series, who was, who was telling, not telling, but advising how headlines should be, what images mm. should be used, uh, because, you know, nobody's perfect and this isn't a thing that people are, have learnt about, you know. Um, so, so in, like, and asking disabled people to write about their own stories, because... This isn't the first series of this kind, but it is the first series in a major newspaper that have had all the stories by disabled people. When other places have done this, they've been stories about disability and mm. not by us. And that that really makes a difference as well. You know, there needs to be there needs to be more disabled people writing about us and not necessarily writing about ourselves, but writing about interviewing disabled people uh talking about the issues that affect all disabled people yeah and another one was uh the glamour self-love uh issue which i also worked on <laughs> <laughs> bit of self-promotion uh, did, we love that rachel yeah, I, mean, I mean i mean you know 
if you're going to ask me who who's doing the best in this arena, it's going to be me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not, it's not. Uh, no, so uh, no, Glamour did. Um, it was at the very beginning of the year. They did a self love <laughs> yeah. issue, and the cover stories were uh, three disabled women. Yeah. But also, all of all of these interviews were done by disabled people as well. All of the all of the writers that they got to write the stories were disabled people, and I think I think that made a big difference as well because it meant that. It wasn't just talking about how do you feel as a disabled person? How Yeah. how do you feel about your body? It, the, the, the conversation in every single one of them changed to why do you think you felt bad about your body? Why do you think you were made to feel bad about your body? And that was that that that's a big difference, you know, because it's not something that's talked about. The reason that we feel bad because we
that really for me has been a red thread again through another season. Um, you know, be curious, open your mind to um to to hearing different perspectives. Yeah, I think you'd make some some really great points. What I also picked up is around specifically how disabled people are seen in the media. So and Rachel was talking about that you only see somebody who maybe is at the worst point of their lives with a disability yeah. or if they're really inspirational. Um, and again, it's that pe- picking about that language again, but there's never really an in-between. Um, and I saw that. And, and when we spoke with Peter Harding at the um, Include Summit, uh, which is one of the bonus episodes, which we'll touch on later, um, he also picked that up as well. And I think it's something that media, um, and we're in the media, um, have got to look at and make sure that we don't fall foul of this. So it was great talking to Rachel because she yeah. is prolific on social media um, and she's got a lot going on um, and she is definitely not backward in coming forward in terms of her views, which was brilliant. Um, we then spoke with two people around Manchester Pride, um, Fahani Haymani and Christopher Owen, Dr. Christopher Owen, um, so we talked, as I say, about Manchester Pride, which kicks off in the summer around August, August high. Um, and we really started that conversation with asking the question, is Pride a protest or celebration? So Pride started many years ago as, as um, a protest, didn't it? Uh, do you feel that Manchester Pride is moving back towards that now or is it still really a celebration? It's both. <laughs> it's protest and it's celebration. And I think both of those things go hand in hand, really. Um, we are here to campaign for LGBTQ plus rights and campaign for change. Um, we're also here to celebrate LGBTQ plus people and queer expression and make sure that they that exists and that people can thrive. So I do think both of those things go really hand in hand and it's really important for us to to recognise that. I'm sure Christopher would want to add there as well. I just think it's it's really important to recognise that we live in a world that tells LGBTQ plus people that we cannot and should not exist um, in a variety of subtle and explicit ways. And so by celebrating our identities, our expression, our culture, we are pushing back against that narrative. So the celebration is a protest. Um, And so, yes, we do things that are more, quote unquote, stereotypical, what you would think of as protest. And we do a lot of campaign work. Uh, We have um, I Choose Kindness, which is an anti-hate crime campaign. So we do that work for sure. Um, But then we also... um, do a lot of like queer arts and culture year round celebration things uh, through our superbia sort of work. And so that, that, that insistence, we do exist and we're happy to exist and we're proud to exist is pushing against the shame and the, um, the erasure that our oppression creates. So it was fascinating to hear Hana's personal journey. Um, I saw it as a woman of color, um, and she was just so open and honest as part of um, that conversation. And it's not it's not an easy thing to do because they also came into the studio. So sometimes you can hide behind the Zooms and, you know, uh, but they came in and spoke to us. And I think I thought it was really great how Fahana was so honest and open. Um, they also talked about the All Equals Charter, which um, is Dr. Christopher's uh, sort of prime responsibility at Manchester Pride. 
Um, and they gave some brilliant examples and ideas for organizations and individuals, actually, that how they could celebrate Pride um, and also told us what was happening in Manchester during the summer. Uh, but the overriding thought um, I, I was sort of left with that Pride isn't just for one month in Manchester, but it's actually across the whole year. And that's what the Manchester Pride organization, who called whatever you know that they're, they're called, um, try to deliver. That it's it is a bit of a it is a bit of a protest. It is a bit of a celebration, but it's consistent. Um, and then uh, Dr. Christopher talked about his research, which I thought was really fascinating into systemic oppression. I mean, you know, lost me slightly. Glad <laughs> to re-reuse re some of it, um, but I love that. I love when I'm get I get lost and I have to really like turn my brain on. Um, and and I love the way he then talked about um it switched from the, the literature to organizations and how they could be reflected and the learnings from the literature could be reflected in organizations um there was a rude interruption uh as usual with my phone <laughs> and, and our producer Dan um did leave it in and make me look silly as as we uh, thought he would <laughs> so that's not good, producer Dan. Stop making me look silly. Um, but finally, the top tip um, was around goals and really be reflective and understand what you're trying to achieve, which again, along with curiosity, that's coming out as a theme as well as these inclusive actions. Don't just do stuff. Try and understand why you're doing it. Yeah, it was, um, for me, going into that, I think the, the one thing that I wanted to, for us to pull out of that episode was around that intersectionality piece. And I think, we definitely, we definitely managed to do that. And I think we also brought it back to basics again with the, you know, why is pride needed and why are we still at a point of recognising pride? I, you know, as we're doing this wrap-up episode, you know, we're towards the end of June and if you look on social media, you know, there are a lot of comments um, from people saying, you know, have we not done this yet? Like, are you not, have you, have you not, been proud enough almost um and so yeah it was it was good for us to kind of re-emphasize why pricing needed why it's um acknowledged celebrated and also um you know the the kind of the, the protest that that it is as well so yeah another great episode and also good just to learn more like i felt like i learned loads when you said yeah. i got a little bit lost at times um but it was it was fascinating Okay, let's go into our um, next episode. So, um, Joe Santana, how employee resource groups can contribute to organizations. Um, so, ERGs, as they are also known, or also inclusion networks, you know, we know that lots of organizations now have them. Um, so, it was really good for us to kind of open this discussion, one with what they are, uh, where they kind of come from, and also what's next for ERGs. Um, I kind of want to pull out... Um, a section first and then kind of I can talk around my thoughts of the the entire episode because I feel like we went on like a huge journey through this episode as I kind of reflected and listened back so let's take a listen so ERGs are at you know the most basic they're basically employee communities so they are communities of people who share some social demographic aspect who originally uh, in the United States, back in the 60s, in the mid-60s or so, these groups started out as essentially a place where people 
who were underrepresented inside the organization could support each other. And so two people might find themselves in the cafeteria or maybe another a third person and realize that we're not the only ones like us that work here. We're just scattered in different departments. And they began to to group together and to support each other. And then over time, these groups evolved into resource groups where basically they provided each other with resources to help their careers, opportunities to meet people in the organization who can help them with their careers. So they took on that nature of supporting the employee who belonged to that particular community. And then most recently, they went on to become what some organizations call business resource groups or groups that now can also be leveraged to support the organization and being able to address the needs of new markets uh, that are out there, as well as be able to help them do outreach to bring more people from various underrepresented groups into the organization. So these groups are essentially a, a community, again, of people who share some social identity aspect. But in terms of what they do and how they operate, that's been evolving over the years. So, so how do organizations generally uh, use ERGs then? That's a great question. And my answer in one word would be somewhat poorly. Uh, <laughs> it could be done better. <laughs> and what I mean by that is uh, I know a lot of organizations that do use them very well. Like, for example, this one pharmaceutical company that leverages their uh, ERG groups not only to bring in more diversity and, and increase that diversity throughout the organization and the inclusion throughout the organization, they also were able to leverage these groups to bring in and wait for it a billion dollars of more business. <laughs> what I thought was really interesting was that, like I say, this conversation took many different terms. And so for me, the bit that I've pulled out is around, um, and, I, and I alluded to this in, in, in our kind of discussion earlier, was that Joe talked about, you know, ERGs being there to to kind of influence the business and influence leaders in a different way and help them think differently. And actually, he talked about, you know, the workplace not being designed for, for women specifically. But he brought it back to um, data. And you know how much I love, like, talking about data. And he talked about, actually, you know, the whole reason of him entering the DEI space was around, you know, him seeing kind of a direct result of inclusion on business and targets and business performance so you know he was seeing that actually he had targets in a business and they weren't able to progress year on year but actually by making some tweaks by thinking more inclusively he was then able to make some changes and and really kind of improve and 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 and, and yeah like I say improve the business so it was nice to kind of hear that piece um I think one of the other interesting things that he talked about was that actually ERGs can, on the whole, be done better. Um, you know, most organizations are using them as a PR opportunity and not really leveraging them for what they should be used for. Um, he said they, you know, are most underutilized resource um, and actually we should be really tapping into that um, tapping into those groups if we have them. And if we don't, having getting them set up. Um, he was saying that actually for an organization to be more inclusive, hitting targets, performing better, you know, there should be like a direct relationship into them and it should also come from the top down. So 
Joe also talked about, you know, ERGs um, being underutilized and actually, you know, for them to be more effective, the senior leadership teams should be having um, more direct meetings with the kind of ERG leads and, and committees to really get a good understanding of the members and the communities in which they're kind of representing because they're the people that are most in touch with their customer. And so actually, if we talk about, you know, if you have an organization that represents the community you serve, actually, why are you then not tapping into the views of that community to understand how you as an organization can do better? And so I think he really kind of closed the gap and brought that to life. Um, one of the other things that um, he picked up on and talked about was inclusive design. And I think, you know, we've got a future future episode with that with that topic in, in mind as well. And I think that for me was interesting that he pulled he pulled that out. And then lastly, he spoke about and you know, you asked him very candidly about, you know, how we reward and recognize our ERGs. And he he said, you know, actually for the work that we're asking these people to do, he feels that there should be a monetary monetary reward and recognition. And I think as we progress in a way where cost of living and inflation is being spoken about so much and people are feeling the pressure, if we're asking people to do more alongside the day job, is it enough to say, well, look at the experience you're getting, look at the development you're getting from doing this role. Is that enough? And I think future focused organisations really do genuinely need to be having that discussion. And I think that's certainly front of mind for me. Um, his top tip talks about, um, you know, actually we need to make work like the, the the way we work and our organisations fit for the future. And he talked about, you know, let's not try and get an elephant into a giraffe's house. And I think that is a brilliant, brilliant example. You know, actually we, we're in a workspace and work environment that was set up many years ago predominantly by men actually the workplace isn't necessarily set up inclusively we all need to take responsibility and make and make those changes for the future you know he talked about you know you can go and expense your drinks for an evening out but actually you can't expense your childcare. and of course it was a very broad comment that he made but i do think that when we're competing for talent we're looking at the future we're gonna have multi-generations we all want a diverse workforce, you know. I think I think probably the same way that um, I've said in the previous two examples. I think that we all have some serious kind of work to do to think about the future of work. Yeah, I agree with, with all your comments. I think I think what startled me is that um, it's been over fifty years since ERGs or networks uh, have started. The first one with Xerox um, in nineteen seventy with uh, the, the network for, for black employees um and and yes we've come far we're yeah. still talking and, and and joe who is an absolute guru in this space um so he you know he's he's so well known across the us um he's he's got a podcast specifically about ergs he has a weekly um newsletter to um thousands of people um wrapping up all the latest articles every week um so, I mean, he knows his stuff and for him to still be talking about, well, let's get um, the, the business understanding what our ERGs are for and let's use them. 
you know, it's, it's a bit of a sad indictment, really, of, you know, what we've been doing for the last 50 years. But um, I love the fact that, um, and we talked about this with, with Simon also around passion. You know, it's not, he didn't get into ERGs because he's passionate about ERGs. He saw there was a benefit. He saw the fact that, you know, he was in an outsourcing uh, role previously, but he saw the value. Uh, what if you brought employees together, what they could do for your business. Um, so I thought I was really looking forward to Joe's session, actually, and it really didn't disappoint. Awesome. So um, I guess the last um, the last episode in the kind of um, the kind of full length episodes that we did concluded with Robin White um, on the definition of sex. So we spoke to um, barrister and author Robin um, about the recent debate in the UK Parliament, and that was about amending or keeping the definition of sex and the Equality Act of 2010. Um, so I think for this episode, I actually, I'm going to, I'm going to full point blank refuse to give time-ins in a section. And that's because I really... Controversial. Think, I know, controversial. <laughs> Mic drop moment on the DNI spy. <laughs> but for me, this pod, this this episode reminded me why we do this. And this episode actually reminded me of what we set out to do when we first, you know, in in our crazy moment said, we should do a podcast and it should bring inclusion and diversity back to basics. And this, so for me, that's what brought it, really brought it back. And I think the whole conversation is really worthwhile because, so, so we, we talked about the parliament debates and that in itself was huge because we asked, you know, why why do these debates happen? Where do they come from? Um, how do they occur? And we then went into the matter of, um, you know, the conversation around sex and, and whether it should stay or be be altered. And I think the conversations I've had personally and offline about even the parliamentary debates that most people in the UK don't know that they can attend them. They don't know how they occur. And actually, you know, we've we've gone into this episode and people can get clarity on those things. So that's why I don't think I can kind of pick out um, a certain section. What I would say is that people should go and listen to the whole thing because, like I say, it it wanders from the moment we start to the moment we close that episode, there's something to, like, take away. And actually, it, it kind of peaks and troughs in different ways. And I think... While we're in an environment and we go back to the media and, you know, Rachel spoke about the responsibility of the media, you know, I think we're in a place right now where if we look at specific, probably broadcast media, we are all consuming very polarising views of things. And actually, sometimes, like we did with Simon, it's good just to get a kind of back to basics, simplified, okay, stop. What does that mean? What does that mean? And pull out. So, you know, we talked about, um, you know, we asked we asked Robin to explain Section 28. We asked Robin to explain cis women. We asked... Yeah, that was interesting about the, the background of cis. I didn't realise yeah. that. Yeah, and, and, and the background of trans. And, yeah. like, Robin was so knowledgeable. I mean, I was embarrassed at how little I know about certain things. Oh, she didn't treat us like fools, did she? <laughs> By asking like really stupid basic questions, which I love because you know we ask the questions that we do. You know, we, we want to know the answer to, and that's what we we hopefully our listeners are also asking the same questions. So hopefully, we're we're doing now a, a service too. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, I think the average person that doesn't work day-to-day in and around diversity inclusion, the average person gets to scroll through their social media or scroll through a, a media site and they get a small portion on a window into something. And so I think this reminded me that we constantly, in the work we do, we have to bring stuff back to basics and we have to almost, like, explain everything because we can't we can't assume and I think that's that for me also reminded me around the job that we do um you know we can't assume things we can't like yeah that that was a big thing for me um and also I think the big thing for me was around our socio-cultural evolution and it's really got me thinking actually what's next where are we going we're talking about tech you know we've got discussion happening around climate you know I was reading something about ethnic diversity you know I was reading a piece around the US and you know it was saying that it'll be minority white by 2045 actually how's that going to play out you know the workforce different generations we've got an aging workforce and I think the biggest things that then came came out of that were around like equity and belonging and actually should we be focused on focusing more on that kind of equity piece so yeah I, I think this episode just, like I say, it it just re-energised me, I think, in lots and lots of ways. And I think it reminded me to widen my lens. And that also, I guess, goes into Robin's top tip, which was, you know, she had a very diverse upbringing. And she said she was experienced and exposed to people of different um, backgrounds, cultures, race, religion. And she says, you know, keep diversifying the people that you spend time with um and who isn't being included in that and I think that for me um was a big reminder not to not to just constantly have people around you that are in, on that same wavelength like that constructive debate is so important and I think that also then swung back to Simon's episode right at the kickoff of the season with the same similar vein I think you're absolutely right I think what I was surprised about with this episode um because we decided to do it when well, as soon as we knew there was this debate, we saw right this causes quite a lot of confusion. So let's talk to an expert. Robin is and was an expert. She um, informed the government as part of yeah that debate. Um, so well, yeah, let let's get her on. And I thought there would be a huge splash across the media after the debate, and there really wasn't. And I was really surprised about that. So I'm I'm pleased that we're getting this episode out, or we got it out quite quickly. Uh, yeah. because I think it can really help. I mean, I've already shared it with so many people across different HR teams in organizations because there's a you know, there's a lack of understanding sometimes about what sex in the Equality Act twenty ten in the UK really means. So I think yeah. in, and as you said, you know, we went right back to basics with a lot of terminology. So it's really helpful for, you know, for, for people like HR teams, personnel teams, talent teams to just understand some of the some of those um, basic terms and understand yeah. what the Equality Act is all about when it comes to sex. And so I thought that was really interesting. I did just pull up, you know, a few things that really stood out. Um, I know you didn't do your, you know, let's listen to, <laughs> but I'm going to say it. So um, I'm not going to say let's listen to, but I'm going to say what Robin said. So she said, we are a complicated society. I mean, that's it in a nutshell, isn't it? You know, there are yeah. the people say, you know, well, I'm on this side, I'm on that side. Well, actually, we're just, well, it's really complicated. We can't just strip it back. Um, 
And she also just talked about um, that she didn't want language that causes people to trip her. So when she starts cases, she's very clear at the start to say, right, let, yeah. let's do like a, a glossary of terms of what we're going to talk about of, of yeah. this period. And I thought, you know, that's a great practical tip, actually, isn't it? Because, you know, nobody really wants people to trip up. But, yeah. but so if you can stop that happening, let's try and do that. Um, but I thought I really enjoyed that episode. I thought it was a great close. And there was such, as you say, there were parallels with our discussion with Simon. You know, nothing was um, sort of off topic. We could talk about everything. Um, so, yeah, a great end of season, um, I would say, closer for yeah, and I guess I guess my my last piece on that would be that, like you say, society is complicated and it's complex, and we all have different views, but we're all entitled to those different views. And I think, I think sometimes we just we can lose focus a little bit. Um, so yeah, like you say, a great season closed. We can't finish um, our wrap up of the season without um, referencing and going back to our very first live episode which you did from the include summit which was uh, diversity in sports media um how was it how did it go well obviously really missed you season four has been a really strange season for us hasn't it because we've yeah. been sometimes we've been able to get together some people sometimes have had to you know do it by zoom remotely and it's been it's been quite challenging hasn't it from a yeah and it shows that Doing a podcast just really hard. That it's not just pressing play or record and <laughs> off you go. It's actually like really time consuming. So, um, and really difficult to arrange with everything else that goes on in, in our lives, professionally and personally. So, I really missed you um, because you weren't there. Uh, we did have producer Dan, who was so organised. And um, if you look at our socials. Um, you'll see the wonderful mini studio that Dan set up for us in the speaker's lounge, which is awesome. Um, so as you say, we recorded live for the first time ever at the Include Summit, which was um, in Manchester. And it was the UK's number one conference for diversity in sport. It's the second time that um, it's been run. Last year it was in Birmingham. Yeah. Um, and I was honoured to be asked to chair a uh, panel debate around how the media represents minority communities in their sports content. Um, and we also discussed what they can do to increase uh, representation at that decision-maker level. Uh, yeah. We also asked, uh, tackled some audience questions, and one specifically uh, was interesting around the use of uh, language, um, the, well, the word woke, and should we carry on using that word? Um, we had four guests who were awesome. Um, Peter Harding, who's the founder of Why Can't We? We had Miriam Walker Khan, who was a DNI reporter for Sky Sports News. Emma Smith, who's the BBC sports journalist. And also yeah. Darren Lewis, who um, not only is the assistant editor of the Daily Mirror, um, and you'll see his columns, uh, but also he's a broadcaster for people like CNN, Sky Sports, and Talk Sports. So a really great panel. Um, and I just wanted to pull out um, one part of that session so let's take a listen and the way that all of these issues will be addressed is that we will be able to use our platforms to change these things not just our companies we all work for big companies 
but also our personal platforms as well, our brands, our, our social media platforms, um, and to speak through events like this, yeah. something like this, when I started was unthinkable because mm. there just wouldn't have been the buy-in. There wouldn't have been the interest. Um, but just as the women's world cup and the success of the women and within sport, the thing that drives the most engagement is success, regardless of what sport you're talking about. Mm. When people start winning, they see that there's commercial value in it. They suddenly start to buy into it. It's not driven by altruism. Mm. And we'd like to think it was, you know, everyone woke up one morning and had a Damascian change of heart, but really it's commercial success. But here's the thing, very often, and I think a real game-changing moment with this was Raheem Sterling, who said, I look in newspapers and I don't see anybody who looks like me. And that was football's dirty little secret for out to dry, because nobody knew what to do. And everyone had to address the fact that if it wasn't for football, they actually wouldn't know any black people. Mm. And that was quite embarrassing in many mm. respects. So um, football, sport, the media has had to look at itself over the next couple of, over the last couple of years, I'd say last five years. But that introspection is ongoing. I really thought it was interesting how Darren's talking about Raheem Sterling um, footballer around a tweet that he had uh, he had sent across the across the ether, um, and I just thought it was a really interesting debate. Um, we not only did uh, record that live session, we actually produced a number of bonus sessions from that Inkerman summit. We're not going to pull out specific um, uh, points because they're all about ten minutes, um, really quick, interesting uh, subjects because stuff that we haven't really touched on before. So uh, one of the people was Peter Harding, who was also up on that include um, panel. Um, and we talked about disability in sports. Peter actually suffered a brain injury in his teens. Um, and then he founded an organization called Why Can't We, which raises dis um, awareness around disability sports. Um, and that was a really fascinating chat. And then we had um, Laura Hartley, who, um, is very passionate about women's football. Um, and Laura was discussing the barriers that women face, um, both as spectators and players of football. And I know Laura is like really, um, you know, active on social media, kind of raising awareness around this um, as kind of one in her day job as acting editor of um, Reaches Women's Football, um, but also um, in her, her game two ambassador role for Coventry City. So really interesting conversation i think as we look to the summer and um more more women's football on the way i think it'll be um a, a kind of continuous conversation that will kind of come out definitely and and next up was holly woodford who co-founded her spirit and that's an app uh for women who want to be active um and we talked to holly about the benefits of exercise for women and um particularly she focuses on women over the age of 40 um, and perhaps experiencing perimenopause or menopause. Um, so that is really interesting because um, it's not something that I was aware of previously, that there was an app to become more active. Um, so, and she's very active on socials as well. So, yeah, I take a listen to that. It's only about 10 minutes, but actually gives you some really amazing information. And then we had um, Catherine Albany Ward, um, and the discussion was around colour blindness. 
and um, I was really um I was really intrigued by this particular episode so um Catherine's the CEO of Colorblind Awareness which is a not-for-profit um and actually came out of and was created because of her personal reason when um Catherine's son was diagnosed um as colorblind she then realized that there was a real like lack of awareness in sports um around the condition and so she's worked you know from grassroots up to really remedy the understanding raise awareness and and hopefully um help and affect change um and then we spoke with um someone twice actually simon webb um he yeah. featured in um an episode talking about ethnic diversity in sport and then also uh with tess howard um around inclusive sportswear so the one that we that he did on his own um it was specifically around um, Sporting Equals, um, which is an organization, not for profit, um, where he's the head of marketing and communication. Um, and then that's a charity that really champions ethnic diversity in sport. Um, and not just sport, but all physical activity. So he discussed the charity's work and how it benefits local communities. And then um, we continued the conversation, but we brought Tess Howard into it and we evolved that topic into inclusive sportswear. And um, and so as a discussion, it was around, you know, thinking about how women can participate in sports um, with sportswear that actually comfortably fits them and is, you know, tailored to their needs. And I think, again, I'm thinking, you know, more prominently about the women's football. You know, I think we've just recently had the discussion around women's football kits and actually, you know, white shorts and um, thinking about kind of menstruation. Actually, that's not a particularly comfortable place for people to be. Um, so yeah, it was a really kind of topical, topical time to have a discussion um, around around that. And um, so that was all of the episodes that were from the Food Summit, but it re- would be remiss of us not to mention Dr. Rebecca Whittington's bonus episode also, mm-hmm. uh, because she um, talked about a really important topic, which is online harm, which is experienced by women journalists. Um uh, she had spearheaded the research that yeah. Women in Journalism and Reach had undertaken over the last few months. Um, and she talked about the key findings of, of her report, um, which included things like harassment and stalking and, and those mental health implications, really, um, on the women. Mm-hmm. And, she, and she talked about how, actually, women are just leaving the industry in droves as a direct result of this online harm. So there was also a call to action um, for organizations and individuals. But just to note that actually the episode does contain some references that some listeners might find upsetting, uh, but it's a really good listen. And it does point to, and in the show notes, it does point to um, some of the research and research and resources that you can take a look at. Yeah, and I, I also, I guess, I think from that, whilst this has got a definite, you know, focus on women in media and, you know, we know from our International Women's Day episode with Alison Phillips that, you know, women are leaving the industry in droves. Um, it also, there's some stuff there that can be really applied out into other kind of industry and and just more broadly. So definitely worth, you might think, oh, well, you know, I'm not a woman in journalism or I don't really want to know about that. But actually, there's some real great, great things for us, for us to take away more broadly. Most definitely. Most definitely. So... Season four, thank you. That is our almost almost close of the close. Um, biggest takeaways. What's your what's your like biggest takeaway? What's your like? Oh, that's sitting in the front of my mind. I'm like constantly thinking about it. Or or you're like there isn't because I can't hold anything in my mind. 
Uh, well, that, yeah. So I had a, a, a leaky brain, as you know. Uh, but I love the fact that we that we bookended this season with conversations that touched on language and trends. And we took both those conversations back to basics, um, yeah. which, as you say, is, is what we try to do. Um, I see, personally, it's been, you know, a, a, a tricky season. Um, I've been trying to... Um, getting to London, getting to Manchester and stuff to, to record and, and, you know, and professionally, you know, there's just so much going on, isn't there? So I'm glad that we managed to get through the season. <laughs> I'm planning on season five. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it's been, it's been, it's been a roller coaster, hasn't it? Without getting a bit, um, emotional along the way, but yeah, I think loads to take away. And I think for me, coming to today, I mean, I text, we have, um, for anyone listening that cares about this, we have a, a group DNI by WhatsApp, as you would expect. <laughs> and um, after concluding my lesson this morning of the whole season, I was just like, I am so proud. Um, I also think that um, we should also reference the fact that we're now an award-winning podcast. Oh, yeah! Not just, uh, you know, bragging, bragging rights here. We did win an award. What did we win the award for, Dr. Julie? It was Best New Podcast. Boom! And the Global Quilt Awards, and I think if um if I could extract my excitement from the WhatsApp voice note that I left to you both, where I was absolutely delirious but very very happy, um yeah, this is a a massive team effort. Lots of work and research goes into it. Dan has some very long days, and thank you, we appreciate you as well. So, um, producer Dan, we 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 love you, we do, and. We love our listeners, so thank you for uh, bearing with us through season four. Please do remember to follow us. To um, we've got we're on socials, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Um, make sure that you write a review on the platform, whatever platform you use. Um, give us five stars if you feel inclined, uh, and tell your friends. You know, we're a tiny podcast that doesn't have yeah. like a massive media machine behind it. So, Sort of spread the word. We rely on uh, people just talking about us. So please do, if you like what we're talking about, share it, please. Mm. Definitely. And with that, I guess we say thank you. Um, and yeah, we're excited to launch season five. What What are we expecting from season five? Well, as you referred, we're talking about inclusive design, which is yeah. really interesting. We're also talking about the link between ESG um, and DNI. Uh, which is a real hot topic at the moment. So lots to come. Well, we'll see you. So we'll see you all soon for uh, season five. You can find us on Twitter. Our handles are in the show notes below. And if you've liked what you've heard, please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes automatically. Thanks for listening.